Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the game industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to get your free pass to our next digital event coming December 8th, 9th, and 10th, where we'll have more great sessions you can participate in for free and inexpensive passes to our industry-leading digital business-to-business meeting system. This episode was originally recorded during the Meet to Match and Indie Game Business Summer Edition 2020 virtual conference. Any presentations that accompany this session will be linked below. You have got to check out our Discord at discord.gg slash business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts. We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors, so, so many, so many. It's safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. You can learn more about the business of games or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck finding a publisher and more remember it's discord.gg slash indie game business hey everybody and welcome back to day two of the meet to match and indie game business summer edition 2020 uh session series um you know as the day goes on i'm getting less and less coherent so just bear with me here but this is our kickstarter ama we have Anya, is it is it Anya? Anya, yeah, like Anya. Tony without the T. I, I Good job. Part of being from the South, it's like I constantly mispronounce people's names. Anyway, we have Anya Combs, and she is quasi qualified to be answering all your questions. She is the director of games outreach for you know Kickstarter. So chances are you're not going to find anybody that knows you know more about this than, than she does. And we have opened up you know whether you're on Facebook or. Twitter or Twitch or YouTube or LinkedIn, wherever you are, pop your question in the chat. If you're on the Discord, put it in there. We'll see it. We're going to get it answered live. So first and foremost, introduce yourself. Tell us what you do on a, on a normal day and, and all that kind of good stuff. Sure. Hi. Uh, so I'm Anya Combs. I'm the director of games at Kickstarter. Uh, I have been a Kickstarter four and a half years, almost five years. Um, I've been in the games industry just over 12 years. Uh, my background is my apartment where uh, my husband and I moved in about a month ago. So forgive the mess. <laughs> it's a green uh, screen. Just tell everybody it's a green screen. A green screen. It's a green screen. Uh, so it's, yeah. Um, so I've been in the games industry 12 years, um, a little bit over 12 years. Um, I got my start as the developer relations person at addictinggames.com. Um, and then I worked at Nickelodeon, um, which was actually uh, Nickelodeon actually owned addictinggames.com. So I've done a lot of weird, fun, crazy things in the games industry. Uh, and now I'm at Kickstarter where I run the games category. I, ha I have done my share of work with Nickelodeon as well over the years. Mm -hmm. And I still say, whenever we talk about licensing deals, the, mm -hmm. the Bible that we got on what Dora was not allowed to do yeah. in a video game mm -hmm. uh, was probably the most entertaining piece of documentation I've read in my career. And all it did was make me want to have Dora do all of this stuff right. in, a, in a game, yep. you know, but yeah. So 
I, I am uh, I'm very much with you there. All right, so you know, let's start off with you know some of the some of the basics. Uh, yeah. When teams are looking to do to get a game kickstarted, mm -hmm. what stage? Much, this is much better lighting. I don't know why I did not move earlier. <laughs> there we go. Now so, you have my AC unit. Oh, see, that's even better now. Uh, so, so what? What's the best stage for them to start? You know, going out there and actually running the campaign. At what stage of development do they need to be? Yeah, that's a good question. So typically we recommend people be at least 50% of the way through development. Um, the days of having just a very simple GDD, a game design document, don't really exist anymore. Um, you definitely need to have at least 30 seconds of gameplay that you can show. That's not necessarily 30 seconds of like, or uh, like a demo. You don't necessarily need a demo, but you, need to, you do need to have 30 seconds of gameplay that you can show. And you need to be able to show that in your video um, and you know roughly just kind of scatter throughout the page in a GIF format. Format, But we, we see typically it's about 50% of the way through development. So is there a, we've seen a big, a big variation in, you know, the pages basically. Is there a set amount as, as the, you know, user asks of homework that needs to be presented in the page when they're building it? Um, homework, I don't think so. So, there's a couple of pillars that you definitely need to hit. Again, having that 30 seconds of gameplay is absolutely key. Uh, but you should, you know, you should have images, you should have text, you should kind of be able to explain what your game is in a text and image-based format. Um, those are definitely sort of necessary. And so, this is, and I'm reading these in order, so don't expect any oh, of coherence in it. It's just going to go. No what avenues are there for developers who don't have extensive social media reach when they launch their project? Um, that is a very, very good question. So I understand not wanting to be on Twitter or Facebook or any sort of social media platform. Um, however, it is one of the easiest ways to build a community. So I would say two things. One, if you are not comfortable doing the social media thing, that's totally fine. There are people who are professionals to do that for you, right? You have community managers. Um, and tabletop and video games have, it's sort of two different spaces, um, but the role of the community manager is to build the community and really sort of like uh, keep that community intact. Um, so you can hire a community manager. That's that's another option. Uh, I would also say Discord. Discord is an incredible place for people to kind of like facilitate the community building aspect part of things. Uh, but then it's a question of how do you get people to the Discord? Twitter and Facebook is one of the easiest ways to do that, right? Uh, you also have the opportunity to like build a mailing list. You can do that through itch, you can do that through a website, um, you can do that through you can do that through social media. Um, it's not that not having a social media presence is a downfall to run a Kickstarter. It's that you create more complications for yourself uh, siloing your community opportunities. So, I mean, over the course of time that you've been, because I mean, obviously you were familiar with and Kickstarter campaigns before you actually went mm -hmm. to Kickstarter. How have you seen the, the pitches, the pages, you know, the campaigns mm -hmm. change over that? And is there, is there a, a distinct meta that exists in terms of, of getting stuff done now? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing, again, is having that 30 seconds of gameplay, um, viewable gameplay, if it's in the video, if it's in a GIF, whatever it is. Um, you need to have that 30 seconds of gameplay that people can actually see. Uh, I think uh, initially when Kickstarter first started, that was not as required, right? I think the days of like, well, there's only a small number of games projects and you can kind of see what's going on. Um, you are basically competing with over 500 people every single day that have a live project. And so you want to find a way to kind of set yourself away from the rest. Sorry, I'm, I'm fielding more questions as we're doing this. This is, no this is the part of my job that's fun, yet, you know, chaos. Um, are there certain times of the year that are better or worse for launching a campaign? Yes. Um, so we found that the worst time to launch a campaign, uh, there's, there's sort of two ways to answer this question. So time of year is um, November, December, holiday season. I understand why people say like, oh, but I want to launch over the holidays, right? Like uh, you could maybe get some of that Christmas money or that Hanukkah money or like the just the holiday money, right? Uh, but the reality is, it is uh, it's much more consumer based, right? Where you're just like, I bought the thing, I want the thing immediately. And with Kickstarter, any sort of creative funding, it takes a little bit longer to make the thing. So people are a little bit less, uh, it's a little harder to kind of rely on that holiday money because people are sort of focusing on like, you know, vacation money, uh, travel money, holiday gift stuff, all of that, you know, nonsense. Um, the other two, actually two things to keep in mind, um, in addition to that, launching around any major US holiday um, is also a very bad idea. So that includes things like Easter, uh, or Indigenous Peoples Day, um, Martin Luther King Day, President's Day, like anything where typically you have the time off, uh, you wanna sort of avoid launching on those days. And then lastly, uh, you do not wanna launch on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. We found that those are uh, terrible days to launch a project. So early to mid, early to midweek and not around mm -hmm. the holiday and not around the end of the year, the, the holiday season. Right. What about, and this is something that I see a lot with game developers and I constantly say, don't do this. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. Mm -hmm. What about launching your campaign at a major conference like E3 or GDC or Gamescom? Yeah, you know, it's kind of a hard one to answer. Um, I would say that's generally fine if you have a community that's willing to back you on day one. Um, I would keep in mind that most of the press and most of the like chatter that's going to be around those conferences are going to be around things that are actually happening at the conference. So it'll be around, you know, game announcements and things like that. It's most likely not going to be about your Kickstarter project. That's totally okay. If you have a community that's like, we're going to back you on day one, we're excited. Yay. Awesome. Then like, great. That's totally fine. Um, if you don't, I would instead use that conference as a way to continue to build the community to kind of like piggyback off of that. So once the conference is over and you've gotten all those emails and you've gotten like business cards and stuff like that, put them into a mailing list and then you'd be like, great, uh, I can blast out to people that like I have a live project that that's on Kickstarter. So, and that's always my concern. It's, it's like, you know, unless you've got that community ready to go day one, then you're going to get lost in all the PR buzz right. of, of everybody else. Right. Um, so one from Facebook, Saeed says, what about the scope of board games like Checkers? Um, 
so things like traditional or uh, traditional board games, right? Uh, I, as long as it's kind of a difficult question to answer, because uh, the cool thing about my job is I don't get to decide uh, what does and doesn't get funded, right? Like that's not my role here. Uh, for me personally, if I would just see like a checkers project launch on Kickstarter, I'd kind of be like, okay, I mean, it's checkers, but like what makes it different? What makes it a little bit more unique? So I think what you need to answer is, what is it about my checkers game that makes it stand out from every other checkers game that currently exists? Uh, because that's ultimately what backers are sort of going to be asking. Now, what I see here is it looks like this is a Google Play game, meaning it's probably a mobile game. Uh, and that is an interesting discussion in itself, just the uh, mobile game world on Kickstarter, which is very, very small. Mobile games are extremely difficult to fund on Kickstarter. Typically, we tell people don't come to Kickstarter with a mobile game. Um, the biggest reason is because we are a rewards-based platform, um, Apple and Google don't really allow you to give out any sort of codes to fulfill the project like Steam or Humble would for like a PC game, right? Um, so it's a little bit more challenging just to kind of like figure out what you can uh, give out as a reward. Um, typically, that's like a physical reward of some kind, like a sticker, a button, whatever it is. That, however, requires two things, which is manufacturing and shipping, which can cost a lot of money. Um, or you could do something that's like an in-game purchase, but even that has a couple complications to it, just because, again, you have to deal with Apple and Google. I'm furiously pasting in here so I don't ask you the same question twice. If I do ask you the same question twice, just tell me to go get some more coffee. And I've already asked you that question. Um, all right. So we have one from the Discord, and she said, "You know, you realize she realizes that there are the pillars to meet, and the thirty seconds of gameplay is is the important one. Are there other ones that are as important, near important, that you still want to make sure you hit?" Yeah. So you want to make sure that you also have a, a handful of different rewards. So roughly five to seven different reward tiers. Um, and make sure that they're like interesting and unique and different, right? So like $5 gets you, you know, digital artwork and uh, essentially a subscription to the project because you have the opportunity to uh, post updates specifically to those reward tiers. Um, you could also do something for like a higher reward tier, maybe like $2,000, $3,000, where you get like two copies of the game, maybe some fun items that are in game or something like that. But you can make someone, you can make those backers or, or that backer, depending, you know, there's different ways to kind of structure it. Um, you can make someone an executive producer on the game. Um, customizable rewards are things that people really, really like. So getting like, um, you know, everybody that backs at this tier gets their name in the credits. For higher reward tiers, you get your name in various spaces within the credits, right? Or within the game. If it's an executive producer, producer, whatever, you know, you can kind of be creative with it and figure out what's best for you and your project. Um, another thing is uh, sometimes people like to, if, if this is something that you are interested in doing, you could also do like putting someone's likelihood in the game. So you could have someone's name, their face, you could have somebody like, I've seen things where people are like, create an enemy with us, create another character with us. Um, and so people kind of allowing for a little bit of their creativity to be part of the project too is really, really cool. Um, I would just say that I recommend doing that at a higher reward tier. And I recommend uh, talking to your artist and their animator 
to see how much labor will actually be required to do something like that. Because if for whatever reason your project takes off and you're like, I don't think more than like, I don't know, maybe five people will back it for like a, you know, customized, they want to create a character with us or something. Let's say that you've budgeted for five and then um, 10 to 15 people or worse, even 20 people back at that reward tier. That means that you have a team of people who are essentially required to fulfill the project. That's labor, that's time, that's money, that's resources. So, uh, being able to do a limited reward for something like that is really, really beneficial. So Saeed asks, can we give backers share and profits of well, like their shareholders? No, we are not an equity-based uh, crowdfunding site. Easy answer. All right. So let's see. Go back up here. Joseph Lieberman sends his regards. He says, hi. So how important is it to outline your stretch goals in the initial pitch? So you actually don't want to show your stretch goals uh, when your project launches. Your stretch goals should be things that you show once the project has actually funded. The issue with stretch goals that we see a lot of times is that people use stretch goals as a way to kind of like incentivize um, for more money. But the problem is the core of your, of your project needs to be about your game. So it needs to be about that initial funding goal. Um, I've also seen people do things where their stretch goals are like wildly clear it's not going to happen, right? So for example, uh, for $10,000 more, I will do a console version uh, without actually having a conversation with Nintendo, Microsoft, or Sony. Uh, that's a huge red flag, and I see it all the time. I think people don't understand how much money it actually costs to do like a port or even like a localization of some kind, right? Um, I think stretch goals that are about enhancements to the game is in the sense of if I could get this amount of money, this is what I would be able to do versus I just want to get a whole bunch of money because I know like it's going to cost a lot of money to make a game. So we very, very strongly recommend not showing your stretch goals until you've met your initial funding goal. Uh, and I'll actually, yeah, you, you can't go and promise <laughs> promise your backers that you're going to do console versions unless you've already got one of the platform holders you're, you're you're already through it you know they're going to do it and truthfully if you've already done that you probably don't need crowdfunding at that point so um what is the what is the best way what is the proper way to organize your stretch goals um, so again, not showing them as soon as your project launches, right? So let's, let's say this is a scenario where like your project launches, you've met your funding goal. Great. Roll out maybe the first two. Once you've met those two, then roll another one out. Once you've met that, roll another one out. Just slowly start rolling them out. Um, I think I get concerned sometimes, um, when I see, you know, a creator has met their funding goal and then suddenly they show everything leading up to like a million dollar goal. And I'm just like, I, this is hard for me to look at this through the lens of someone that is taking this seriously. Uh, rolling them out kind of like uh, strategically and with mindfulness, I think is absolutely the best uh, course of action here. All right, so let me ask you a question from the other side of the table. Mm -hmm. If I am a backer, mm -hmm. what are the red flags that I need to look for in you know a, a game's Kickstarter campaign? Mm -hmm. Not having a video is a huge red flag. Um, you can't actually see what the game is, right? If it's just like just a single image and then a whole bunch of text, that's a huge red flag. 
uh, I don't know what the game is. I don't know what I'm backing. I don't exactly know like where in development is it? What can I see? What, what platforms are these on? What does the game even look like? Um, that's a huge red flag. Um, having ridiculous stretch goals that are just like immediately rolled out to like millions of dollars where it's just like, hold on, what, what's actually happening here? Um, having two reward tiers as a first time creator that are obviously part of the project. So it's just like, okay, cool. You get like $5 and then it goes to 20 and then that's it. Um, that concerns me. I, that shows me that maybe you haven't really thought about what it is you can actually like provide to backers. Um, you know, we say five to seven for a specific reason. That's typically like people will, will back at higher reward tiers. You just need to sort of incentivize them to do so. Um, and uh, no information about the creator. That's a big one for me. Like, I want to know who you are. I want to know what games have you worked on? What's your background? Who are you? <laughs> it's, it's in many ways, it's the same things that, you know, if you're a developer out there, mm -hmm. you need to look at your Kickstarter page, your campaign as roughly the same as you're pitching to a publisher because yeah. it's, it's your, you have to convince them, you have to convince, you know, people of the very same stuff that you yeah. know what you're doing, that you have a clear path to getting there and that your team is capable of actually pulling this off. That's the yeah. same thing a publisher wants to know. So yeah. it's very clear. Um, are there, I mean, so how important when you have the stretch goals or the tier goals, how important are those extras? I mean, have you seen like some extras have a much better adoption rate than others or? Uh, do you mean like add-ons or what do you mean by extras? It's like um, if you get 50 bucks, like you said earlier, you get your name in the credits or you get a T-shirt or you get, you know, a mug or whatever it is. You know, are there do you always have to have those or can you just say, here's the title you're going to get or here's a piece or, you know, how important is the actual physical shit that people send out? Yeah, I mean, I think that physical rewards are a little bit more in tune for like tabletop games, right? Because you're getting an actual game. For digital games, for video games, I don't think that physical rewards are necessary at all. Um, unless it is a property that is really, really well known and you have the opportunity to do like a deal with like, I don't know, IndieBox or like a manufacturing service or something like that, that's totally fine. Um, but for little swaggy type things that you weren't really budgeting for to begin with, I don't think it's necessary at all. getting a lot of questions so in essence board games yes it can be useful because you're, you're sending them something anyway yeah yeah video game not yeah. so much yeah. so what is the aside from what you covered because i don't want to keep going back over the same stuff over and over right. what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people making in their campaign either at the beginning or halfway through or at the end or, or mm. what have you um so one rolling out stretch goals early don't do that uh, like showing instructionals immediately. We obviously want to avoid doing that. Um, not having a video and not having any like gameplay gifts, just not showing your gameplay. Like what, what is your game? We need to know this, right? Um, never posting an update. That's a big one. So you should post an update roughly every other day. Um, 
very important, something you absolutely need to do. Uh, it's different for every category on Kickstarter, which is really interesting. For example, music, you could like post an update like once a week, it's totally fine. Games, it's every other day. That's just kind of how it is. Um, not communicating with your backers, that's a huge one. So not responding to comments, um, not answering emails, not answering messages, just like not participating in the process, right? Um, your backers want to hear from you. They're going to have questions. They want to know what's going on. All right. So I've got a, a two part. No, wait, I'll get to this in a minute. So what goes into whether you are a pick or a yeah. starter, the nice little seal of approval that you can get? Yeah. So uh, I've heard a lot of really interesting rumors about this one. Uh, so there's no algorithm. There's no metric in terms of like, once you reach this many backers or once you reach this percentage of funding goal or you're funded uh, you know in this amount of time or anything like that none of that exists every single feature that is on kickstarter that includes any sort of social media that blasts that we do any newsletter features any front page visit anything on kickstarter that is all managed by an editorial team who uh they essentially pick what they want to feature our job as outreach team people is we advocate for the creators so my job is to say like this creator is amazing i love what they're doing i think they're fantastic um and uh being able to kind of advocate for creators to that team that is a huge part of my job so talking to uh myself and my uh the two other people that are on the games team is talking to us early and often is key so i said we've already answered that one so one of the questions was you know should we do stretch goals yes but don't release them early hold, hold them in back don't plan out you know 300 million dollars worth of revenue over the next eight years and never ship a video game mm -hmm. totally not going to do that uh would you recommend having add-ons so we said yes for a board game or something physical but don't sweat it if it's a a digital game well you uh, could for a digital game you could do like additional copies of the game that's also an option well, yeah. yeah um and actually we do have a new add-on feature that we're going to be rolling out pretty soon on kickstarter um oh, that's, so yeah, that, that was the next question yeah awesome uh so yeah if you are interested in doing add-ons it's something that you can do once you're building your uh campaign page there's a form that you basically just like fill out um, it's in the back end of everything, um, but that should be available to ev to everyone in a couple of weeks. So explain a bit, like, so what is that? How is that different than what there is now? Yeah. So the way that it's structured now is you have your specific rewards. You have like five rewards, let's say. Uh, an add-on is something that you can add in addition to that specific reward tier. So let's say that you have like a $20 reward tier and you're like, but I also want to add, I don't know, a keychain or something like that. You have the option to add on so that's so everything that's in those specific reward tiers, you have the option to add it on to an existing reward tier. Nice. All right, and so that's a very good segue into the next question. What is the ideal quantity of reward tiers? Five to seven. Oh, see, that was an easy answer. That was, that, that was clear cut right there. Yeah, five to um, seven. So is Kickstarter available for countries like Pakistan and India? Um, we are currently not available in Pakistan and India. Um, we are available in, I believe, 19 countries. Uh, it is on the website. You can check specifically what countries are available. Um, we would love to be more available, you know, in as many countries as we possibly can be. Um, our payments provider sort of uh, only allows us to be available in specific countries. We're constantly rolling that out, though. So, for example, we 
we were recently available in Japan and Mexico. Um, we are going to be rolling out. Um, we're going to be launching in Poland, Greece, and Slovenia at the end of the year in a couple of months. Um, so we're sort of constantly adding countries, but uh, right now we're not currently available in Pakistan or India. All right, so we can count on our friends and family to get us started, but how can we get thousands of eyes on the Kickstarter link? And this has got a follow-up mm -hmm. question, but let's yep. do this part first. You have to build a community. Uh, you have to do the process of building a community uh, to get people to come to your Kickstarter. So what we typically see for first-time creators is a 30-70 split on the back end. And so what we mean by that is about 30% of your pledges will come in through Kickstarter, and about 70% of your pledges will come in through the community that you're able to build. So I guess I'm, I don't know, I'm answering my own question in my head. I was going to say, you know, what kind of conversion rate would you see? But without knowing how big their community is, it's... It's hard to tell. It's, it's impossible to, to know. It's like some people are going to have really good and some people aren't. Yeah. Um, all right. So this gets into the next question, which is a very touchy subject with a lot of developers. Um, mm -hmm. This team has now hired two marketing agencies and spent thousands of dollars and neither of them have gotten them a single backer that they didn't already know. How, there's a lot of companies out there mm -hmm. that we see and they're like, we'll help you get your how effective are they and how do you vet them? Yeah, um, some of them are effective. Uh, we see that Jellop is one of the best, J-E-L-L-O-P. Um, they're an incredible agency that has done a ton of work on Kickstarter projects. Honestly, a lot of this is just kind of old school stuff. And what I mean by that is um, doing the research ahead of time, right? Looking, doing the research of who these marketing agencies are and also talking to people that have used them and talk to more than one person, talk to like two or three people that have used them, ask them the pros and the cons, ask them exactly how much money uh, you had to spend and what you actually got in return. Um, it's the marketing agency thing is a weird thing. We're not huge fans of it to be perfectly honest, um, just because they are so hit or miss, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're all bad. But Jellup, I can confirm, is a good one. Um, but again, you need to do the research before you sign anything with these marketing agencies. So we got we got a, a long one from, from our friend Nightwolf. And okay. let me get this and, and post, because it's a good question, a long question. Um, and what's up, Mike? Well, if you've been posting these things directly and now you're making me cut and paste these things all of a sudden at the end of the day. So they have an initial game that they're working on. Okay. The course of it, the community has brought up new feedback and new ideas that oh, I'm not even, I didn't even share that. Um, you have to like look way over the top of it now. Um, they, uh, <laughs> they have new features. They hadn't planned on it, but they really like the things that have come up. It's going to extend their deadline. Is it something that they should do through Kickstarter or do they need to go outside to something like Patreon to get new features added? And I'm going to hide that so we can actually see. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a really, really hard question to answer. Um, I would say with Kickstarter, you should kind of know exactly what it is that you are planning to do because at the end of the day, you need to fulfill your project. 
Um, if you are still in the process of doing a little bit of community feedback where you're like, wow, all these features that our community are recommending are super cool, I would not recommend coming to Kickstarter just yet. I would only come to Kickstarter when you know exactly what it is that you wanna do, just because you are potentially in danger of doing feature creep, uh, and nobody wants that. That never happens. That is <laughs> No one's ever experienced that, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, like, feature creep is fine. It happens. Um, but when you are in the process of fulfilling a Kickstarter where people's money are involved, uh, I would generally recommend just, like, stick with what it is you initially planned. So how do you rein it in when all of a sudden your community goes off the rails and they're just turned into a mosh pit? You need a community manager. Again, like with the community. It's it's um I've been involved in in several from the business aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And even with what I've done for 27 years, it's like I look and I see what's going on behind the scenes with the team. And I had one a couple of years ago where they launched it in theory. It should have been an absolute slam dunk, not a problem. But the reality was the team themselves had not thought through a lot of the issues that were going to come up and questions that were going to come up from, you know, from the, from the consumers and questions would come in and I would watch the, the developers like infight over it. And I'm like, this is not going to go well. This yeah. is, um, what kind of research or preparation can teams, especially small teams mm -hmm. do to, you know, try to, head some of that off early um in terms of having the community coming in and like causing fighting and things like that uh or specifically in fighting within like dev teams it was actually within the dev team but they um, were the problem the, the infighting was with the dev team but the problem came from them not correctly estimating the community's questions and concerns. Got it. So I would recommend, again, knowing exactly what it is that you're making. Like, I want to make this game and sticking with that. Uh, the key is communicating it to your backers. Um, and a lot of that is just sort of like, this is kind of where it gets a little bit weird, where you kind of have to be a little like customer service-y. Like, thank you so much for your feedback. Um, appreciate it. Uh, we are going to move forward with the idea that we had, right? Uh, and obviously, there's like a much nicer way to kind of say that. Uh, well, that is actually much nicer than I would say it. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, just say like, I these are these are great ideas. Uh, I don't think we're look, we're not really able to implement them right now. Um, if for whatever reason we're able to find like an influx of cash of some kind, like it would be great, but you can also be very upfront and be like, this is how much it would cost to do those things. Um, if you want to help, you know, push this Kickstarter so we can obtain that amount of money, uh, that would be amazing. I love that you are so excited about this game and I love that you are such a huge part of this community come help us achieve that, right? Like it's about kind of spinning it a little bit. Um, again though, that I think needs to come from a community manager because I think sometimes, and this is this is not like a dig or anything, this is just kind of how it is and it's actually kind of a good thing. This is why having a community manager who's a little separated from it. Uh, when I 
see developers getting into the weeds of stuff like that. The challenge is that because you are so closely tied to the thing that you are making, it's hard not to take criticism as a personal attack, right? That's just human nature. That is completely fine. There is nothing wrong with that. The advantage of having a community manager or like a producer or someone who's like a third party person um, kind of help you through that process is any sort of they're coming after me uh, potential mentality uh, goes to the wayside. That's and unfortunately, that's something we see across the spectrum, mm -hmm. but especially indie teams. It's, it's yep. like they don't have the capacity to bring on a full-time community manager. Yeah. You know, it's like they only have, which is also a benefit to a lot of folks because now we've seen a entire you know industry and a new role pop up in games with, with folks who are just basically freelance community managers. Um, mm -hmm. There's several of them on our server and I think it's a wonderful idea. Mm -hmm. um, so another one from the Discord, given the amount of work involved, what is the recommended minimum goal for a Kickstarter campaign? For example, don't even bother if it's less than X. Ooh, um, that's a good question. Um, that's kind of a difficult one for me to answer, but I will say this. Um, what we typically see as the most successful uh, funding goals on Kickstarter for video games is roughly 50K to about 150K. Now that doesn't mean that anything less than 50K is like not achievable. I would say that anything less than about 20K is where things get to be a little bit tricky, right? Because it's like anything less than 10K-ish, 20K-ish within that range. Um, what exactly are you making for that amount of money? <laughs> because that is a very small amount of money. It, it is, and so it, it leads into a question that, that I had anyway. There seem to be two strategies for Kickstarters that mm -hmm. I see from developers. Either we need half a million dollars and we're gonna ask for half a million dollars, mm -hmm. or we need half a million dollars and we're gonna ask for 50 grand and hope that once that 50 grand gets hit, people get more confident right. and they dump money in it. Right, right. Yeah, it it's an interesting tactic. Uh, so I would say, say two things. Um, I've seen people do things where they will launch their project and they will launch at, let's say they know they need 75, right? Let's say they're like 75K is what I need. I know I need that. Uh, and so they launch at 50 and then roll a bunch of stretch rolls out going, but people are gonna back it at higher tiers and things like that because uh, you know I'm, I'll meet the stretch goals. Everybody get meets their stretch goals. Um, that's a dangerous territory, mostly because if you ask for 50K knowing you need 75, let's say that you do only make 50. You still need to finish the project where you've budgeted for 75 on a 50K budget range. This is also why we are an all or nothing crowdfunding platform. We found that all or nothing is, it's a little bit more secure for backers and creators, that relationship, right? It's like, I'm at that amount of money, it means I can make the thing, which is great. Um, I think the challenge here is if you know you need 75 or if you you need 50 and you're only asking for 30, like whatever the numbers are, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you need to do the, you need to put the effort in <laughs> and you need to do the work to kind of build that community. So it's, it, it, it's one that I still see 
every day. And because I have the same thing. And I, that's my, immediately my concern. It's like, yeah. you need 75K to get this done and you get 50 and that's it. So what the, are you going to do yeah. now? Now yeah. you're behind the eight ball. But we, we see, I can't say that I've seen it as much recently, but, you know, a couple of years ago, we would see companies, I mean, publishers launch Kickstarters basically as marketing tests. Yeah. You know, has that been, I know what my reaction, and I know what a lot of other developers in the industry and even gamers, I know what their reaction is to it. Has that panned out as a, a good tactic or is it one of those that people just look at it and go, okay, so that's my reaction to, you know, yeah. it's like, why are you doing this? You obviously have the money to make this game. Well, no, I mean, it, it depends, right? Like it, that's kind of where things get a little bit tricky. Um, I would say if it's like a big studio, as long as you are just very upfront and honest and you're like, look, I need this money to finish for like the last 10% of my game, um, we're not getting the funding, right? I think that's really okay. I think about it in the sense of like, we get a lot of pushback for any celebrity or famous, famous person in any category that comes to Kickstarter. Uh, a really good example of that was Critical Role. Uh, critical role coming to Kickstarter where it was like, do they really need the money? Like, not really, but they were able to bring a community to Kickstarter that at the end of the day, they that community that they brought to Kickstarter ended up backing more projects. So the advantage of having these people of like famous people or like people, you know, people with a ton of money coming to Kickstarter is that the community that they have and they bring ultimately actually make uh, makes the Kickstarter space better because they are able to uh, bring in more backers to more projects. It's, yeah, that's always, and we've got um, a couple of the teams that we've worked with, you know, seem to have it down pat. You know, they've mm -hmm. had like five or six successful Kickstarters mm -hmm. in a row, but that's what they do. They're, they're like, look, we're going to finish this game one way or another over the next year or however long it's going to be. Mm -hmm. But if you help us, it's going to go a little faster or we're going to be able to do more features or, or things like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the fact that, that, you know, you keep coming back to that I can't emphasize enough is you have to go in it with a community. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. That, that was surprising to me. I, I didn't realize that the average is about 70% of the money is going to come from your community and, only 30% is going to come that that has implications when you're looking at hiring some of these agencies too. Yeah. Like, are well, you hiring them for 30% of the money? Right. I would also say one of the interesting things that we see is that stat is mostly for first, sometimes second, sometimes third creators. So when you have someone like Larian studios who they came with divinity, original sin one and two, and then recently the board game version that, those numbers fluctuate because then their Kickstarter number where that 30% that can, you know, that can go up to like 50% sometimes because they've, they've built a community on Kickstarter. So once you have a successful project on Kickstarter, the more that you launch projects, uh, the more likely it is that you're going to fund and the quicker you do end up funding. All right. So here's a question in when you're looking at that funnel of, of your community, 
should you be funneling them to like say your discord and then to a kickstarter page or should you mm. be funneling them to a kickstarter page and then to your discord so uh it's kind of twofold i guess uh so we have a newer feature on kickstarter called a pre-launch page and so basically what it is is you go through the process of creating your page you go through the approval process your, your project has been approved you can launch whenever you want great uh, you have the option to create a pre-launch page. This is different from the preview page that people were used to. The preview page is something that was sort of like an ugly looking URL that eventually became the full URL of what, what your project would be. Uh, and it's, it's a preview of what the page will look like. The pre-launch page is not a preview. It is simply the name of the game, a small description, and an image, uh, and a follower count. You have to get 10 people to follow that project before that follower account is actually seen. Um, that kind of shows you a little bit of opportunity to be like, cool, I have you know, 200 followers on this project, great. That gives me a lot of information. Uh, the more important thing though, is that URL of that pre-launch page is what your final URL will be for your game when your project actually launches. So being able to kind of show that preview link in your Discord uh, and getting people to kind of follow it is amazing. You can then uh, do things like a like an AMA on your Discord or something with that sort of like pre-launch link, right? And you can be like, here's, uh, you know, let's do a an AMA about the game that's launching in 30 days or something like that. Um, that I think is a little bit of a better tactic. So let me get this straight. We can now early access and wish list the Kickstarter that we're going to use to early access and wish list our Steam game. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> so have you been doing those long enough to to see a conversion rate between between that? It's yeah, the conversion rate is is kind of a hard one, but we'd say it's like roughly twelve percent. But again, it fluctuates from project to project. It's hard to kind of like nail down what an average is. I, I literally just had to Google what the one was for, for Steam to compare it and it's about 19. So it's all, you know, right in that same amount of land. Okay. So here's the big question. Mm -hmm. You're, you are a game developer. You have all this knowledge that you already know. How would you plot out your perfect campaign? That's a great question. So first I would take a look at Kickstarter and see what other people have done. <laughs> uh, just to do a little bit of research, right? Uh, second, I would make sure that I had 30 seconds of gameplay. Most important thing again, 30 seconds of gameplay. Um, I would get all of my assets together. So I would get my images, uh, artwork, uh, anything that I want to show. And I would decide what it is I actually do want to show on the Kickstarter page. I would also look at how people set up their pages in terms of like, wow, they have more information about the story. They have info about the gameplay. They have like these sort of pillars that they're hitting. Um, I want to provide some of that information. You don't have to. You don't necessarily have to like follow what everyone else is doing, but um, you can like you know take bits and pieces from what people are doing. Um, aside from that, oh, also having uh, who you are as a team, what other games you've worked on, like any sort of information about you and your team, and then also why you're coming to Kickstarter. What is it that you're hoping to sort of achieve? Is it that you want to finish the game? Is it that you want to update your graphics? Is it that you want an additional level? Like, what is it that you're hoping to sort of achieve by having a successful Kickstarter project? Uh, and then lastly, figure out what your rewards are going to be. All right, so for everybody out there, we've only got another 
five, 10 minutes if we stretch it here of, of Anya's time. And then we have uh, my buddy Ben Hoyt coming on talking, uh, doing another Discord session, talking about how he literally ran his game studio through Discord and, and how he did it. So we, we still got a couple of questions here. Yeah. Um, as, all right, so can you use Kickstarter? Let me get that one out there. Can you use Kickstarter for funding and still try to get a publisher for that big name connection and guidance, or would a Kickstarter Kickstarter decrease the option the, the backing from a publisher? This is a great question. So, um, yes, you can absolutely still use Kickstarter for for funding to get a publisher. Um, I have seen people uh, launch projects and then get publishers actually reach out to them. That's not an uncommon thing. Um, I've seen people actually not fund on Kickstarter and still get a publisher. Um, I, you know, I think I think one of the challenges here is if you're using Kickstarter specifically to get a publisher, that's kind of a gamble. It's a little bit dangerous. Um, it's not. I mean, you know, do what you got to do. There's there's a chaos chart for a reason. Uh, but it's a little chaotic to do that, which I also kind of respect. Uh, but I would say like using Kickstarter specifically to get a publisher is maybe not the best idea. Using Kickstarter and realizing a publishing deal could maybe come from that, which also means that if you have a successful Kickstarter and you have a sizable community that's come to Kickstarter, that gives you a lot of leverage. You can say like, well, I have this community that's actually followed me, right? And that's huge for a publisher because that means a publisher doesn't have to do you know, the maybe the same amount of community building that they would normally have to do. Um, but I also think like you're talking about, let's see, publish under a big name like THQ, Nordic, Capcom, and Square Enix. I mean, I don't know if Kickstarter necessarily is really gonna have that much of an impact on uh, specifically targeting those big publishers. I do know that they look at Kickstarter. I do know that any spectrum of publisher essentially looks at Kickstarter as an opportunity, um, but I, again, caution against using Kickstarter only to get a publisher deal. But it's also totally okay if you fund on Kickstarter and you get a publisher because of it. So yeah, Nightwolf, and, and I'll give the, the publisher side of that, you're rolling the dice when you do that. Because if you make it, then yeah, it's great. You know, you've already shown to the publisher you have enough community support and enough backing and you have at least X amount of dollars worth of interest in this game. You basically told them they can pre-sell this many games. If you do it and it doesn't work, that is going to reflect poorly. I mean, whether, no matter why it didn't work, when, you know, they go and they look, you know, Kickstarter doesn't send people a report on, this is what they did wrong to not make their goal. It right. just says they didn't make their goal. And that's, that's the downside of it. So, um, yeah, game mechanics, high risk, high reward type thing. Um, all right. So another one from the Discord. As far as community, what's a reasonable benchmark for the size of that community? Or, you know, if not measured by number of parties, what kind of measure makes sense? So I uh, get this question a lot. And, like, I can't just, like, give an answer of, like, You've got this many people that follow you and you'll fund. It doesn't work that way. What I can say is that we typically recommend a formula. So take your funding goal. Let's, and I'll just use examples here. Uh, let's say that the funding goal is 50K. And then you want to take your base reward tier. So that's just the reward tier. That's the base game. That's what everybody gets at that specific reward tier. 
let's say that's $20, right? 20 bucks, because that's typically how much like a game costs on Steam when it comes out, let's say, right? 15, 20. For this case, 20, just because it's an easier number to work with. You're going to divide your funding goal by the reward tier. So that means there's, that's 2,500 people. I think that's 2,500 people. I'm not so great at math. Correct me if I'm wrong. English lit major can't help you. <laughs> Music major, you'd think I'd be good at math. Uh, I can sing it for you. That's about it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so that's about 2,500 people. That's how many people need to back you at that specific reward tier, which is $20. Uh, you want to double that number. That's the easiest way to kind of look at it. So you want to get about 5,000 5, people in your community. That doesn't, I'm not saying that you need 5,000 people on Twitter. I'm not saying that you need 5,000 people on Facebook. I'm not saying that you need 5,000 people on Discord. I'm saying the various parts of your community that make up a like one community. If you have like a thousand people on Twitter, a thousand people on Facebook, 2000 people on Discord and 3000 people on your mailing list, right? Great, you, you're done. <laughs> you're done as long as you put something out there that's good enough for them to commit to it. Yeah. Oh, uh, all right. So this is the last question. And then we got to go and get ready for the next one. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just got to finish unpacking her green screen behind her. So the, uh, <laughs> but keep in mind, folks, we have the after show, you know, Anja is on the discord. So you can pop over the discord, ask questions mm -hmm. and not only her, but we have a ton of developers who have actually done Kickstarters too. That can help you. Um, that's all over at discord gg slash indie game business so uh last question are there any challenges that hyper casual mobile games run into on kickstarter yes mobile games are extremely difficult to fund on kickstarter um i think i already mentioned this but it's worth mentioning again uh mobile games are inherently difficult because we are a rewards-based platform so apple and google don't really allow you to provide codes to give the game out once it's once the project has been completed right so unlike steam humble you get a code you send the code great reward project's been fulfilled super easy apple wants to keep that 30 percent, which is you know that's their business model that's fine um, so they don't really give out codes to uh, help you fulfill a Kickstarter project. Google, it's the same way. That's just kind of how they are. So you have to come up with different types of rewards. Uh, that's maybe like creating a character in the game that a backer comes up with. That's, you know, uh, some sort of something that's in game or a lot of times it's just like swag. It's like stickers and buttons and stuff like that. But we've already talked about how that can be really, really expensive, especially with shipping, especially now with shipping rates and things like that. Um, the other challenge is that if we're looking at it from a one-to-one -one ratio where it's like, well, for 20 bucks, which is the average pledge for video games, because that's about how much a video game costs, you're looking at an average cost of uh, an average pledge of between one to five dollars for a mobile game because that's about how much a mobile game costs. The other challenge is a lot of mobile games are free or freemium. There's you know there's a ton of different models from for mobile games. Your mobile game is free. This also goes for any free to play uh, video game. You have to answer why anyone would pay uh, a Kickstarter. Why are, why are you pledging money for a game that will ultimately be free, right? That's something that you need to answer. So what are you going to provide for those backers who are like, yeah, we're interested in backing this game, but what exactly am I going to be backing if I can just play the game for free at the end of the day? That's a wonderful question. 
So that that's a that that's one that you don't always think of, but it makes sense because you can't, like you said, Apple and Google don't let you. You can't give out and say, "Hey, look, here's a you're going to get a special hat or whatever." In the game, yeah. you don't have any way of delivering that to the players. So, alrighty, Anya, thank you so much for coming by and, and yeah. hanging out with us for a little bit. Feel yeah, free to hang you. around the, the Discord, answer questions. Uh, and you know everybody else out there wherever you're watching us if you thanks for listening to indie game business you can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business <laughs>